Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Powercast. So this week we have Paul with us, Paul Webb. And uh, I don't normally read out people's bios, but it's pretty impressive. So I was going to read this out to get us started and then uh, and then I'll have a chat. So um, Paul is uh, a former professional athlete and his life took an unexpected turn when injury caused him to retire prematurely. A deep internal drive that he had unfinished business in the sporting world led Paul to travel across the world to qualify as one of the first strength coaches in the UK. After setting up his own facility, Paul spent almost 20 years coaching athletes of all levels from weekend warrior to Olympic um, athletes and world champions from all over the world and in multiple sports. He's authored two best-selling books on strength and performance that have continually sold well over the past few years. During this time, Paul trained a wide variety of people out of his award-winning gym in East London, but found himself um, on only what can be described as a journey of self-discovery. He began to change the focus of his coaching philosophy by firstly incorporating mindset coaching alongside his strength and performance programs. The results were outstanding and led Paul to be recruited by some of the most well-known mindset coaches in the world. Paul came to a decision a few years ago that running the gym um, that had been successful for almost two decades no longer served the direction he was going in. And so he sold that to continue his spiritual self-awakening. Paul began coaching clients on their own spiritual journey, drawing on years of experience both in his own life and through working with thousands of clients. He's traveled the world from the UK to the US and even to Saudi Arabia, working with Hollywood actors, entrepreneurs, CEOs, Olympians, and royalty, helping all to achieve levels of success in their lives that far exceeded what they expected. So I'm so happy to have Paul on, excited to have a chat about uh, your amazing journey. So thanks for, for jumping on with me, Paul. It's an absolute pleasure, Aline. Is that really me that you just yes. <laughs> you like egos? You're sitting there thinking, "Oh, is it, did I do that? Was that really there?" But yeah, it's quite a journey, right? Yeah, yeah, amazing. And uh, you know, I can relate with working in the fitness industry, then stepping into personal development mindset work myself. So yeah, really excited to to chat about that. It does seem a kind of pathway, doesn't it? I, I know quite a few uh, older, let's say, PTs and coaches that kind of make that transition. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, what what originally got you? In, well, what what originally got you into setting up your gym? Was that the first thing you did in the fitness industry? Or? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I, I'm a '70s child, mm. right? um, as you probably can see. And um, <laughs> the, uh, so, when I grew up, the, you know, we didn't have, we weren't blessed to have the technology and all the. Uh, availability of stuff to do that that, that kids nowadays have. It, it truly was a, a really different time, you know, pre-internet, pre-personal computers, really. Very, very different. So, so you, but by the same token, on the other side, we were, had much more freedom. So, mm. you know, you come home from school, you go straight out, you, you just say to your parents, I'm, I'm off out, and they'd say, be back for tea or be back before it got dark or whatever. And, and it was a kind of a different life, really. So very early on, like very early on, six, seven years old, I, I, I sort of knew I was better at football than other kids. I could mm-hmm. see I was. I, you know, I could control the ball better. I could pass the ball better. I had more time on the ball. So I knew that I was reasonably good at that. So I just became obsessed with it. So mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to do. So that drove my entire childhood. Everything I did um, was focused around being a better footballer and trying to become a professional because that was the dream of pretty much every boy mm-hmm. 
back in the playground there. Yeah. Um, and, and I was one of the very fortunate ones that I could do that, that mm. I actually made that transition. So that, that was my first sort of step away from a, a normal environment into the professional sporting world and, and, and potentially into celebrity because, mm. you know, back then, you know, everyone wanted to be a footballer. So everyone knew you were a footballer. So yeah. I'm living in the area that I would play for Crystal Palace. So I was in near the area. So I got spotted when I went out shopping. Kids would come mm. over and ask for your autograph. There were no selfies then, of course, because there, no, <laughs> there were no phones. So you would go out with your family or your girlfriend or your friends and people would stop you and ask you to sign a bit of paper and that kind of yeah. thing. So it was kind of a bit of a surreal time. Yeah. But as you so eloquently said, you know, I got injured, unfortunately, just as I was transitioning to the first team. Um, with a big long future ahead of me, you know, I ended up with a career ending injury. So mm. it, there was, that was my first foray into, you know, this is what I've wanted to do all my whole life. I'm blessed. I'm doing it. And now like it's gone, it's been yeah. taken away. And you know, that back then, um, there were no schemes for ex professional footballers at all. There was no counseling. There was nothing. You just went into the office. They said, your contract's up. We're getting rid of you. We're releasing yeah. Uh, go and grab your boots and go, yeah, go, basically go now, you know. Yeah, how and did you, just, you deal with that? Badly, <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, ah, uh, what, you know, <laughs> you know, if you think about it, right, so so my manager at the time was Steve Koppel. Steve Koppel, and if you know, or, or your listeners or viewers do, but he had, he was a, a famous Manchester United footballer who played for England and had his career ended by injury. Mm. So here I am injured. Um, like tenuous as to whether I'll be back playing again or not, mm. you would think that there would be a bit of empathy from someone that, that had gone yeah. through But actually, no, there was none of that. There was, there was no sympathy, no empathy, nothing. It was just a case of, right, you're injured, I don't want to speak to you. Wow. It was really harsh. Mm. So that was very difficult to get over. But I'm quite determined. I'm quite single-minded and focused. So I just trained. I just, um, I, I guess I was fortunate that my cousin at the time was British powerlifting champion. Mm. So he was a big hulk of a guy. Yeah, tattoos, long hair, played the electric guitar, rode a Harley, bit of a hero, yeah. you know. Um, and so I, he wrote me a strength program, went into the gym, started training with all these powerlifters. It was great. It was really, really yeah. good. This was mid eighties, late eighties. When when it was massive. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I tried to come back. I got released by Palace. Went to Fulham. Did a pre-season, but just couldn't play and, and train every single day. It just the injury was just too severe. So that was it, really. So then I had this kind of um, dilemma about what to do next because I, I just focused wholly on one thing, mm. right? which we know will bring you results, right? You know, yeah. if, you, if, you, if you focus on one thing, turn up every day, do the work, deliberate practice, intention, all that kind of stuff, mm. you get better at that one thing. But other things you're not doing. Yeah, yeah. Now I've got to decide what I'm going to do, right? Yeah, and, and I think as well you can tie your purpose and identity into yeah, that one yeah. thing and then when you lose it, you feel like you've lost everything. Yeah, so, so I was Paul the footballer. Yeah. I was Paul the goalkeeper. I was Paul that was the hero at my old school because I was the first person to transcend the school and become famous. Mm. I was Paul the goalkeeper who, who everyone in my family was like, whoa, we've got someone who's going to be on the telly in, in, in yeah. our family and all that kind of thing. And all of a sudden I was Paul just Paul. Yeah. And it was really, really difficult. And I didn't have the skills I have now to be able to cope with su such, you know, mm. devastating news and, and yeah. almost trauma. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I, I just sunk into a depression. It was, it was, um, 
you know, if I, and I, and I tell you this now, uh, if it wasn't for the training, the exercise, mm. we know when you exercise, you know, it's really, really good for those depressive tendencies yeah. both mentally and physically. Right. Yeah. If I wasn't doing that and didn't have that to focus on, then who knows what could happen. I don't know where yeah. I would have ended up, but you know, I kind of tried a couple of normal jobs, uh, discovered that that wasn't for me very quickly. Um, and, um, you know, because of my interest in the strength and powerlifting and weightlifting and so forth, I was talking to my cousin about it and he said, you know, the best thing you can do is go to America. You know, they're so far advanced of us over here with their lifting and that sort of thing. He said, you know, you can find some really good strength gyms. You, you might be able to do something with that. So that was kind of how I did it. And I did one of those, um, you know, those coaching things you can do where you go over and teach kids to play football. Yeah. And just basically started looking around for, for strength gyms. So I went to New Jersey, I went to New York, I went to Florida and then um, just found strength gyms. They allowed me to intern. I did mm. some qualifications over there. I became a strength coach, but it wasn't recognized over here back then. Yeah. So that's how I led to set up my own facility. Yeah, awesome. That's really cool as well because I can relate to so much of that. I Not at any kind of professional level, but I played football for five years when I was younger. And, uh, and I've also um, competed in powerlifting at a national level in Australia as well and met people, spent time with Ed Cohen and wow, yeah. um, got to uh, meet Brandon Lilly and um, Stan Efferding as well. Um, so yeah legends right yeah 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 ed cohen's amazing and yeah he sometimes is he'll jump on my live streams and i'm like ah oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey. like, send me messages like well done with your lifts and i'm like oh it's, it's like incredible. really nice and, and, you know it's lovely when people who are legends in their sport yes. or industry take time out to mm. do that because it means so much to someone coming up doesn't it and it stays yeah. with you as you've just proved yeah yeah exactly exactly so then how did you find that transition after you'd gone to the states and set up your your gym um yeah i guess what were the the steps that you went through there to really get you get your head in the right place to be able to do that first of all and then the challenges or the the positive things that came up the, as well? the interesting thing was see i am one of life's optimists i really am mm. uh, you know and um I came back from America and basically stood in front of all the athletes I know and said, I'm a strength coach. <laughs> and they looked at me and went, so? They just had no idea. We're talking going early 90s. They had no yeah. idea or concept yeah. of what a strength coach was. And when you mentioned weightlifting, they were thinking bodybuilding, right? Oh, and I don't yeah. want to let me down. Yeah. So it, it kind of was an extremely um, challenging time because mm. obviously I needed to bring money in. Yeah. I was in the UK. Um, so my dad had a double garage that he didn't use. Mm. So I just filled it with some equipment and then started training friends uh, and, you know, some footballers I knew. Mm. I'd start charging five pound a session, <laughs> 1991 or two. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, 91, 92. Started charging five pound a session, but, but made sure I trained three or four at a time just to get yeah. the money up a little bit, right? In yeah. the garage. Real old school type lifting, you know, so basic compound lifts. That, so that was my introduction into it. And then I thought, I can't keep doing this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to, you know, trying to get people to train strength was really, really difficult. Mm. And, but the people I were training was get, were getting into shape. So what they were saying was, oh, I have a, a sister, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, you know, could you train them? They, they need to drop a little bit of weight. So I kind of thought, well, okay, more and more people are coming to me asking to drop weight now. 
Yeah. So maybe I, I need to start doing much more of that. That seems to be a bit more lucrative. So, mm-hmm. so I kind of transitioned a little bit that way. And, mm-hmm. and, and that was the idea that led to the gym, which was just a small personal training studio that I rented initially yeah. um, up in London. Um, that I, I, I quickly filled up in there. And they were charging me more. They saw how busy I was. And they started charging me more and more. <laughs> they so, want a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sort of thought, well, I don't really want to, um, you know, take... They were taking literally half of what I was earning just wow. to have their space. And so I thought, you know, I need to do this myself. I must be yeah. able to find a space. So I found an off-high street shop that was about 1,000 square feet that I converted into a studio and had a one-to-one training studio. That was my first real gym. Mm. And it was, it, it, I, I believe I'm right in saying it was the first personal training studio in, certainly in that area in London, in East yeah. London, but, but potentially possibly the whole of London at the time, I'm not sure. But, yeah. you know, it was a new concept. So people came and had a look. I explained that. And, and the really good thing about it was I got results. So yeah. that really helped. You know, I yeah. kept it really simple. I kept it really basic. Mm. Um, and and uh, it, 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 it with a slow start because sometimes these things you know we did the usual yeah. stuff you know we we leaflet it i paid my children, <laughs> my children come to stay with me i paid them yeah. about 20 pounds each i think to come with me and do a leaflet drop yeah yeah all day out but they yeah. wanted money for it little entrepreneurs right yeah so, my, so we, my mum used to pay me five dollars an hour to tea and tidy in her hairdressing salon when That's i was and I used to babysit for friends of families, kids when I was 12. Like, why would you let a 12-year-old look after them? I know. I know. <laughs> they can't even look after themselves half the time. Yeah, I know. Um, but, yeah, that's, so, so, so I managed to get a client base. Um, I managed to um, get the business running quite profitably, quite quickly. Mm. And I think that the reason I was able to do that was for a couple of ones. One, my overheads weren't particularly high, mm. right? So when I was in America, um, one of the coaches that was teaching me strength and conditioning said, uh, nuts and berries, Paul, nuts and berries. So live off nuts and berries. Keep your costs down. Mm. You go back to the UK and you start doing this yourself. Make sure you don't do what everyone does and spend loads and loads of money on yeah. equipment, loads and loads of money on rent. But keep yeah. it as low as you can. Build yeah. up that. You know, you need to be cash rich. You need to have money coming in. Yeah. You know, and, and that was a really interesting and valuable lesson. Yeah, so I tried to do that, which is why I went off high street. You know, people said, you know, on high street, you've got a lot of visibility, but you're paying four times more rent and business. Exactly. Rent. You know, and not- I've seen so many people start gyms with the most expensive equipment, oh, most no. expensive rent, yeah. and then struggle and work yeah. their asses off and not yeah. make any money. And then other people, like my old powerlifting coach, for example, started in his garage, mm. um, you know, and then went to a small facility. Mm. And as he made more money and grew his client base, he would buy more equipment or, or make yeah. his own equipment yeah. and, and buy, get a bigger space. That's exactly what I did. I had one power rack, one bench, yeah. dumbbells up to 30 kilos, kettlebells, yeah. some bands, um, one, I think one Swiss ball, some mats. Yeah. And that was it, really. And a couple of barbells. I, you know, it cost me about two grand. Yeah. You know, and, and um, it was all secondhand. It was all refurbished. Yeah. And um, it, it really worked. I, and I kept that for three years. It was like that for three years. Yeah, cool. Um, right up until the point that I literally couldn't fit any more clients in. Because back, back in those days, um, you're talking about uh, charging for the, by the hour, right? So mm-hmm. clients were paying you per session, effectively. Yeah. Um, very old school way of doing it. 
um, it worked for a time, but you, it's limited, right? Yeah. Because there's how you know how many hours are there in a day you can work. So yeah, exactly. how many clients can you get in in a day? It's, it's yeah. kind of there's a finite limit now. Exactly. Exactly. So that became the first issue I really faced, if I'm honest. Yeah. 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 I I think that's such a good lesson just to bring it home even more for people listening around. I think so many people want that short-term pleasure and they're not willing to go through the short-term pain to get the long-term pleasure. And like it's, and I've done it in the past as well. You know, I've, Oh, I'm making more money. So I'm going to go get a private chef and massages every week and buy designer clothes. And then you come back down to reality and you're like, well, if I'm living like this, yeah, I'll have nice things now. But what about the legacy? What about the long-term? What about growing to be something more? than just having a nice time for a little while yeah i'm I'm big on teaching clients about the laws of the universe right and Mm. and how when you align to those things work really really well and and you just described the law of sacrifice superbly well that you know you give up something a lower value now to have something of higher value down the line and and it's a really important lesson because people today want everything now yeah people today yeah. Are, are distracted all the time we've got so much technology around we've got so much poor on our time yeah everyone wants everything now so they, they've lost this ability to say to themselves okay you know if, if i want to be a concert pianist in the future i have to give up going out and messing around with my friends or going online yeah. gaming and i have to practice my scales for an hour a day every day yeah until i'm good enough to play at a concert piano at this level yeah and that's a real skill and when people understand that and learn that and most importantly put it into practice Mm. that's when they get the results yeah did you always have that kind of mindset or was it the thing that the that strength coach said that really triggered it or what do you think helped you to have i I got asked this question on another podcast not so long ago and um i i I went to say oh it's something i learned as i went on Uh, Mm. but then i i remembered a story uh, uh, uh when i was really young um, and basically I used to get a weekly football magazine called shoot and they would have articles from f- famous footballers in there. They were probably ghost written and, and whatnot as, as yeah. these things are, but you would read them as a kid and you'd be like, Oh, that's so sad. And yeah. I can remember reading an article by a, a former, see, I'm a Chelsea fan, right? Yeah. So it was a former Chelsea legend, Ray Wilkins, who sadly died earlier this year. Mm. Um, and, um, he was talking about a particular skill that he did where he would be able to, the ball would be passed to him he would control it in turn at the same time leaving a, a, a an opposing player for dead and then passing the ball mm. and he explained and there were diagrams or pictures of, of him doing this skill so mm. i thought i want to do that yeah. um, i must learn that. so i took my football out into the, the back garden went out the back gate into an alley that was there and there was like a brick wall that wasn't sort of much bigger than 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 the foot or two right mm. so just a bit wider than the football and i spent all day every day kicking that ball against that wall and and controlling the rebound and turning so yeah. what effectively i was doing uh, i i was obsessing about it of course but i was practicing deliberately that skill yeah you know and this is what we we, we get clients to do right when they want to achieve something new they have to practice it there's a process mm. they go through and this deliberate practice where you intentionally practice with focus Mm. a particular new thing yeah. after time it starts to be ingrained yeah. first in in neurology and then through your nervous system yeah so you can unconsciously perform that skill yeah and that's what i was doing back then so i kind of guess i've always had it and mm. maybe it was because 
I was obsessed about playing football. So it, it was the football that triggered it. Mm. Maybe it was something that I was born with. I don't know. But yeah. most behaviours are learned anyway. I can't mm. think of anyone in my family that was quite as obsessive as me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm nearly 50 early and they still call me weird today, my family. So that makes <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it, entrepreneurs are always people who think differently, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Do you think you were from a young age had that entrepreneurial mindset, or were there people around you that helped to grow that, or was it just part of your personality? Where did that come from? I think it was a combination. I, I, I um, my, um, my parents provided a, a nice house for us. You know, they struggled to do it. Mm. They had what I would class normal jobs. Um, and I used to look at what they were doing and say, I don't really want to do that mm. you know, because I want to play football. I want to, I, I had this, it opened my mind to possibilities of earning more money th than them. It opened my mind to traveling. It opened my, my mind to performing, you yeah. know, uh, I've always been the sort of person that wants people to enjoy themselves. Mm. So I've always gone out my way to make sure that everyone's involved, that I can, I can make put people feel better. So yeah. I used to do that by joking around a lot as a kid. I used to do it with my football. Yeah. Uh, they can come watch me play and feel better. Yeah. I've done it with my coaching. They can feel better because they look better physically. They get stronger. They have a better yeah. result that way. So that, that kind of, I think, was the genesis of that, if I'm honest. Yeah, cool. And that's interesting because you can have whatever happen and see what you want from it. For example, your parents weren't entrepreneurial, didn't have businesses. And you, you had that, I guess, away from motivation of like, well, I don't want to do that. I yeah. want to do this. Whereas mine was the, the opposite. Both my parents have always been entrepreneurs, always had their own businesses. So I felt like that showed me the possibilities and that I didn't want to work. So it's cool that either side. Absolutely. And, and, it, and, and it doesn't matter. There's not one way better or worse than the other. Yeah. It's yeah. whatever gets you to, to the destination. Exactly. You know, and, and, and I, I, I am thankful for the upbringing I had. Mm. Because it did still some behavioural traits in me. There's no question. My parents were quite strict. So they were always having me say please and thank you and opening the doors. And, you know, yeah. I thought that to be respectful. And, and yeah. these are just general behavioural traits that, that enable civilization to get on, right? Yeah. yeah, totally. Awesome. So I guess going back to the gym then, when your gym was full and you said yeah. that was really one of your first challenges, trading time for money and, and yeah. having that full gym, what was the next phase of your journey well I, there was kind of two steps i took i i went and spent some time back on the west coast of america mm. uh, so i did a bit of traveling and a bit of work out there and um i was fortunate to be staying in santa clarita which is where alan cosgrove has his gym results yeah. and um i just walked in one day this is i'm going back 14, 15, 16 years, I think. And it was when he had just opened the gym. So it was really, really small. And it was smaller than mine. He had less equipment than mine. <laughs> he was crushing in there. And obviously he's Scottish. Yeah. Um, and a really, really nice guy. So we just had a chat. I said I was in the neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. And he was doing something really interesting. He had three clients working with him at once. And um, I was talking to one of his staff. He had one member of staff at the time. And they were saying it's a semi-private model. Yeah. So um, when Alan finishes, he'll come over, have a cup of coffee. When he finishes, he'll come over and have a chat with you about it. So we had a chat, we were talking and um, he, you know, was very open, you know, really showed me exactly what he was doing and why he was doing it. And basically, you know, I was charging, I can't remember if it's 40 or 50 pound a session. Yeah. Right? And he was charging something like $30 for each client. Yeah. And there was three of them. Yeah. So $90. So I suddenly thought, yeah. right, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> so I came back to the UK 
and then started to implement that in that facility. So I I, I offered the clients at Allen's uh, with his advice to say to them, look, this is, I can give you slightly cheaper training, but I'm going to put you with a couple of other people. You'll get that group thing going on. You'll get engagement. You'll get better results and all this. And quite a few decided to do it. Some didn't, they just stayed where they were. So I, I, I dropped their money. I think it was 40 pound because I dropped it to 25 and I had three of them in there. Yeah. So, you know, 20, 40, 60, 75 pound. All of a sudden yeah. I'm earning 35 pound more an hour. Yeah. So that was great. That, that kept me going for another year. Yeah. Uh, and, but again, you, because of the size of the facility, mm. it gets a bit compromised. And yes. It was a small place I had and, you know, um, I wanted to move people around a little bit more. I was learning new stuff. I wanted to, you yeah. know, I wanted new equipment. So, um, I got offered a much bigger, I think it was about two and a half thousand square foot place on the high street. Yeah. And um, I knew the landlord. He um, he offered it to me before he put it on the market. I went and had a look. He needed a bit of work doing. Um, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take a chance. Because I, 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 I like taking calculated risks. Yes. I think that, you know, if we play safe all the time, generally we stay safe. And, yeah. And, well, the key word in that's calculated as well. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? <laughs> so, so I knew that I could probably move straight in, open it immediately and start earning some money. Yeah. Like, wasn't that bad a condition but there were two floors there was the ground floor and there was the basement but I, I, if i had done that i wouldn't have been out use the basement mm. so i wanted to develop the basement as well because I, I could have two floors there and i could have much more square footage there were little rooms downstairs i could have treatment rooms as yeah. well i could rent them out so there were multiple streams of income coming into the place i had a nice shop front so i could sell supplements and sports yeah. clothes and all this sort of thing so I had these really grandiose plans Mm. Um, unfortunately I didn't foresee the damp downstairs so uh-huh. when the builders came in they quoted us 40 grand for the build and that kind of thing and I said yeah, yeah do it and you know they said six weeks so like, fine no problem let's get it done mm. um, and then they went downstairs and they said ah you've got really bad damp we're gonna have to restrip it back we're gonna have to tank it that's gonna cost you about 60 grand it's gonna mm. so you've got to do it you can't otherwise I'm gonna have to block off the downstairs and that would have ruined half my my plans yeah so that that meant that instead of opening at the end of December for the beginning of January, yeah. we're now pushing March, end of March, oh. beginning of April. And that's and the whole peak season gone. Yeah. And I, it was a really stressful time because, you know, you've got people knocking on the door saying, what's going on? When's it opening? Because we had all the signs up. Well, why don't yeah. you open? You know? And uh, I knew it was in the area I lived in. So I knew everyone. So I was constantly yeah. talking to everyone about it. You know, I had brought people in and showed them around. And I had this delivery of all this new equipment that was in a lockup. It was like, oh, this is <laughs> And in the end, I said to the builders, you know, whatever it takes, you have to finish by this weekend. Yeah. The big opening weekend. So they were literally painting as I was showing people around on the other. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Awesome. Um, I, what's the biggest thing you learned from that experience? Oh, great question. Um, certainly, uh, if I could do it again, I would do a lot more research and planning before I started because I just jumped straight in. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the pool that handled I knew said, do you want it? These are the terms. And I just went, yep, I'll take it. I didn't even negotiate. I didn't even yeah. you know, go and have a really close look. I didn't get a, a, an engineer with me and say, right, what's going on? What's going on? I would, I would have spent the money to do yeah. that uh, yeah. and, and got a proper, you'd done my proper due diligence. And, uh, yeah. and then I could have made that decision. And, and if I'm honest with you, if I'd have known the cost and what was going on initially, I probably mm. wouldn't have moved into it. I probably would have gone somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that ties into what we were talking about when we were having a chat before we started recording that 
uh, kind of me and you have that personality where we just make fast decisions, yeah, which yeah, can be a great thing in business. Yeah, yeah. But then at other times it can be, it, it can, uh, yeah, be a disservice sometimes. Yeah, it hurts us. I mean, that, that hurt me financially to the tune of about 80 grand. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because like, we were scheduled to spend about 40 grand on the build to get it really nice and, and the equipment and everything and get it up and running. It ended up about 120 grand. Yeah, so, wow. you know, we had to borrow money. We had to max out credit cards, which I didn't want to do and didn't need yeah. to, you know, you know. And, and that puts a lot of pressure on you. Like yeah. when you say everything's ready for the opening weekend, and then three months later, you've got a 15 grand rental bill coming in. Yeah. You've got three months really to hit from scratch to make that. Yeah. And it, it's like, okay, how are we going to do this now? <laughs> what, what, what system of training people am I going to use? I'm going to go full gym. Am I going to keep it personal training? I'm going to do a yeah. combination of the both. What am I going to do? Yeah. You know? And so, so that was an interesting time. Yeah. And I guess pressure can be good at times, but it can also be very stressful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was that the gym that you were in for quite a while then? Yeah. 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 That's the one that we won awards for. That's the one that we, we see my, my whole thing about doing it. Um, I got interviewed for the local paper before it opened and they said, what are you hoping to accomplish with this gym? Mm. And I just said, I just want people, I just want to build a really good community. Mm. I want people to come in this place, feel safe, get the results they want and have some fun. Yeah. And we were able to do that. I, I worked really, really hard on that because I knew that the way I trained people got results because yeah. it's not rocket science. As we know, you yeah. know, physiology is physiology. You, you know, if you want to get people in shape, you follow the rules, the systems, yeah. like with business. You want to build a business, there are certain rules you follow. You want to build money, there are certain rules you follow. Yeah. You do that and you're mindful of everything, you get a result. Yeah. It's when you don't do that that the problems occur, right? Yeah. yeah. You get another result. But yeah. so I knew that that was a given. I knew that if people followed the system and the process that I'd spent years putting in place, they would get a result. Mm. So I knew that. So that was not the worry. The worry is like, you know, okay, how is everything else going to work? Yeah. Okay. How am I going to manage everything else? Mm. So I want to make sure that these people want to come here. Yeah. When they want to come here, everything else falls into place. So that's what I work really hard on doing. Yeah. And how did you learn about marketing, sales, scaling a business? Or did you have mentors along the way? Or how did you learn that stuff? Um, uh, early doors, I did it almost myself just by the seat of my pants yeah I, I just i just thought what can i do how would i um how do i talk to these people see see uh, i was fortunate in so many ways that i lived in a, a really good community yeah you know um i spoke to everyone because i'm one of these people that just talk to everyone yeah. um and uh, so i was able to say oh by the way i'm opening this you want you should come along have a look see what you think we can have some fun da, da, da. Mm. so that's kind of how i did it initially then I started to, to look at people that were much more successful than me. Mm. Speaking to Alan Cosgrove in the States, and I could see what he was doing and the way he was thinking was a real eye-opener, if I'm honest. Yeah. Because, oh, you think, oh, there, there are ways that you can do this that work much better than the ways I am. Yeah. And I, I'm not egotistical enough to not ask for help. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I've always been someone that can say, show me what you're doing. How does yeah. that work? Yeah. Well, I think for some people, if you think you know everything, you really know nothing. No, absolutely. I have, I have had clients, well, my best clients have been people that just drop everything that they think they know and they just listen and they allow me to guide them and find the answers for themselves. And yeah, you, you, you find that you're just unraveling stuff. They're unlearning, aren't they? Because yeah, you know, exactly. that, that, that fixed mindset of it's this way only is, is, yeah. is so damaging to people. There's, there's so many ways to run a business, so many ways to make money, thinking outside the box. Don't, you don't need to do it the way every other personal trainer's no, done it or every no. other coach has done it. There's so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. So, um, and then how did you then transition from that? Did you start doing some personal development stuff with your training clients? Like how did that evolve? There were two or three steps I took in my fitness business over the years that had really huge impacts. Mm. Um, one was when I, uh, had clients incorporate strength training in their, their normal programs. Mm -hmm. So normal everyday disregard the athletes cause they're a different breed. Right. So, yeah. so uh, you know, the weekend warrior or the member of the local community that, that wants to lose a bit of weight, wants to get a bit toned up or whatever, but to have them start to train for strength and get stronger made a massive difference to them. Yeah. It made a difference to them physically. It made a difference to them emotionally. It made a difference to them, you know, mentally all, all this wonderful stuff because they started to express themselves a bit. They became stronger versions of themselves. To yeah. point of so that was w one. The second one was um, uh, the mindset. Yeah. Once I started, because I've always been fascinated by the brain. It's something that's really, really fascinating. Yeah. And, I, I, and I've, when I was a kid, I was an, an avid reader, uh, you know, a habit that I still have today. Mm. I just read everything. I love reading. Yeah. And I used to read some really funky books and the brain used to really, freak me out when you when you read about the brain and, yeah. and you know even back in the, the 80s it was still crazy what you were learning mm. um, so I knew that you know mindset coaching the way that people were looking at themselves and viewing themselves you know was the missing key for for so many people so I started to to take courses and trainings in that and then I started to incorporate in my life as well because yeah. I've always experimented on myself yeah. you know with training like, I'm going to try this I'm going to see if it works yeah. you know like you know, you look at CrossFit, they do a lot of Olympic lifting. Well, I looked at Olympic lifting years ago because I used to Olympic lift when I was younger. Yeah. And I know how complex a skill it is to learn. So yeah. for the majority of people, it's just not worth even trying to do. Oh, I'm so too coordinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have them throw medicine balls rather than Olympic lift because yeah. it's easier to do, right? So yeah. So um, I, I would experiment with myself. I would say, oh, it's really technical. I'm, I, I've trained all my life and I'm having difficulty yeah. with complexity of it therefore my clients that don't train they train two or three times a week there's just no way we'd spend yeah. too long teaching them it so let's find something else so that's kind of how my mind used to work yeah so i started to use the mindset for myself i started to get really good results you know on a personal level and on a professional level so i started to incorporate into my programs so my whole thing with the gym when it was up and running the, the really big gym i had was that it was a lifestyle gym right so yeah. it was the lifestyle, it was the nutrition, it was the training, it was the mindset, it was the recovery and regeneration. It was all in one sort of thing. So that's how I used to advertise it at the time. Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. And then what, what made you transition then fully from the gym to the, to the personal development? Because I, I, obviously having that gym for such a long time must have been a hard decision. It was, it, it, it was a hard decision. And it, again, it, it, it boils back to that thing with the football, right? Where you get tied yeah. up in your identity with it. Yeah. So um, I, that gym ran really, really well. We had ups, we had downs, we did really well, sometimes not so well. But fundamentally, I made two mistakes when I ran that gym. One was not keeping the costs at the beginning with the build yeah. under control, okay? Uh, but we managed to pull that back a bit. Yeah. Um, the, the second one was that I, I was a bit of a perfectionist which was my um, mindset flaw, yeah. uh, like, um, and um, because I, I set up everything, because it, the genesis of that whole gym was me in my garage 20 years before training people and working out what works and building systems and 
all sorts of things. So yeah. I was involved in absolutely everything in that place. Mm. The whole running of it, you know, the coaching of clients, the, yeah. the doing of the nutrition, even though I had a nutritionist, the doing of the recovery, even though I had therapists in there, <laughs> the marketing, even though I employed someone to do it. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to be involved in everything. And I'd burn out early. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, I'd, done, I'd done it every single day, seven days a week for 15 years. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it comes a point where you, you either mentally go or you physically go. And, and with me, it was physically go and I blew my knee out. And uh, yeah. I ended up having three operations in a year mm. uh, on a knee that every time they went in said it, it, it was worse than they thought. And in the end, I had to have 12 weeks off the knee in a brace. Um, you know, uh, and the surgeon said, if you do not take this time off, I won't operate again. Then you're done. Yeah. Um, so I had to sit at home for 12 weeks and bear in mind that my whole life was the gym and my yeah. whole being and identity was caught up in it. And I was in a terrible state yeah. and, um, the physio who was working at the gym for me, he came to see me and we we're talking about my rehab and that sort of thing. And I, and I was really stressing and I was, uh, and he said, what have you thought about selling the gym? And I was like, well, no, who's going to buy the gym? And he said, well, I might know someone. Yeah leave it with me for a week and I'll get back to you. Mm. And he actually came back with a partner and, and, and offered me a price for the gym. And uh, at the time, my wife, who wasn't working because we'd had kids, um, wanted to go back to work. So childcare was a little bit of an issue because I was in the gym 15 hours a day. Yeah. She was going to work full-time back up in town. Um, she was going to have to travel for the job. So mm. it was like, okay, how are we going to do this? And it all kind of conspired at the same time. And it was yeah. just basically a decision like, okay, I can sell the gym. The, the clients can still be there. The staff can still be there. It can still run. That was the idea. I've you know, pretty much done my time. I can come out with a chunk of money. I can recover from the injury properly. And I can move on to another chapter. And I can always set up another gym if I want to. Yeah, yeah. Just take some time to, to heal. And that's kind of the decision that I made. Yeah, that nothing's ever final. There's no problem. No, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was why I did it at the time. Yeah, okay, awesome. Yeah. Uh, why do you think that you tried to do everything even though you had the team in place and what advice would you give to people on that? Because I thought I could do it best. Yeah. Um, because it was my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I was so attached to it and an identity um, um, and possibly maybe because I didn't quite trust the staff to do it as well as I could. And I, you know, I, I charged quite a lot of money for that place because yeah. I gave such a good service. I thought I'm going to charge. I've never had a problem charging what I'm worth, mm. you know? So I, I charge, it was the most expensive gym around. There was a, you know, people paid a membership, a monthly fee, but it was a coaching gym. You know, they, there were coaches on board. So they came in, that I created it to flow. So they, they went downstairs, they warmed up with the coach, they come upstairs, they've done their power and strength work. They went to their, you know, hypertrophy or, or toning place where whoever you were talking to, and they did their cardio and then they were called down. It was, it was a nice flowy system. There were coaches at every you know place to coach them. Yeah. But I, you know, I wanted to make sure that everyone was sticking to what they were doing, that they were giving the best, um, service they could give to the clients that they were fully engaged and all that sort of thing. Because the minute they weren't, these clients who were, you know, they, they were reasonably wealthy clients. It was a reasonably affluent area. Mm. They would be straight on me because they knew me. They knew me from the area and they'd be saying, oh, you know, X, Y, Z didn't, there was yeah. a he was training me today. Yeah. You know, so, so I was, I, I just thought okay, in order to, to make sure that these guys and girls are, are, are doing this in the correct way, or what I saw as the correct way, I'm going to mm. be there all the time. Yeah. Okay. 
But after years of doing that, you kind of, it's a habitual. You can't get out of it. Yeah, it's the cycle. Yeah. So what advice would you give to other business owners on, uh, I guess, being able to build team to scale around systems or anything like that so that they don't burn out? Uh, I would start with the end in mind first. So what do you, what, what, what's the ultimate aim here? What's it going to look like? When it all is said and done and it's successful and running, what's it going to look like? Mm. Okay. And then with that in mind, what, what do you need in place to make that run smoothly? Yeah. Right? And then work backwards to mm. where you are. And then you, okay, so if I need to write systems for training programs or, or for in, uh, uh, increasing profitability or for building products or whatever, that's where you start. Yeah. Right. And then as soon as you can get that first person on board, mm. because you need to, we're creators, right? Yes. When we're creating, we're creating and we're, our eyes off the ball elsewhere and, and taking us away from that creating and put us in, in another places isn't the best use of our skills. Yeah. So look for these people who are really good at what they do. You look at Elon Musk, he doesn't build his rockets. Yeah. He's a visionary, right? He's the man yeah. that goes on telling and says, I'm going to put humans on the moon yeah. or on Mars, right? Yeah. And then these engineers go, oh, what's this guy talking about? He goes, build it. You know? yeah. And that's what you want in, in your team. You want people that can, first of all, buy into the, the, the vision. Yeah. You, know, you, you don't want people that are rowing the wrong way. It's yeah. suicide, right? I've been there as well. Yeah. But you want people that buy into what you do and yeah. you bring them on board as quick as you can. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, awesome. And so then when you transitioned out of that, uh, how did you get into the personal development side of things? All right, so it's really interesting. So um, when I was rehabbing with my knee and I was on the sofa with my feet up with a 12-stone mastiff trying to lay on me, <laughs> um, I was flicking on, on YouTube and uh, I saw a video from a, uh, an old um, colleague of mine um, who I'd known from my strength and conditioning days, but I hadn't seen for years. And he had kind of reinvented himself as a mindset coach mm. and was running like a mindset institute, was doing loads of mindset performance stuff. And he was at a Ryan Lee event speaking. Yeah. And I saw the video and uh, I, I was blown away by it and how he transitioned out of what he was doing and was now going a different path. And I was reading personal development books, you know, yeah. I've been reading for 20 years. And um, so I just reached out, you know, he, he actually was my very first friend on Facebook, funnily enough. When I started Facebook about eight or nine years ago, he was the first yeah. person I, I requested a friend thing from. But, and I sent him a Facebook message and he messaged back and said, oh, dude, how you doing? What's going on? And so I had a little conversation with him. He said, look, I don't know what you're doing, what you're planning, but I've got this little thing going on. It's $500. It's four weeks. Jump on board. It'd be great to train you in there. So I thought, oh my God, let's do that. So that's how I, I kind of got in, introduced to him. I went through a mindset process. Um, what was interesting was that he was giving sort of little tactics to do. And I thought, I'm going to give this a go. Did it a go, sent out of e an email, a bit of online coaching, you know, uh, consultancy and that kind of thing. And um, I think I earned something like um, $4,000 from doing that, just that one email. Like yeah. I said, that's my list. I sent him a message saying, dude, look, this is what I've done. This is what I've earned. Thank you very much. Now, I was the only person in that group of about 20 that took any action. <laughs> so he used my email as a testimonial. And then he offered me a place on his mentorship, which was a quite chunky price for me back then. It was about $5,000. Yeah. And I went through the mentorship, did really well, started setting myself up as a personal development, uh, mindset kind of coach kind of thing, because I, that's where my interests were at that time. Yeah. And when I came to the end of that course, he, he messaged me and said, you know, um, can I have a chat with you? Can we jump on Skype? 
called Zoom, actually, fun enough. Mm. And um, I remember my wife at the time saying, what do you think he wants? And I, and I said, oh, he's, I know he's got a, a much more expensive program. He probably wants to sell me that. And she said, I remember saying, are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, yeah. I jumped on the call with him. It was on a Sunday and he just said, look, I'm just going to come out of it. I really like you. I really like what you do. I really like the way you do it. Um, do you want to work with me? Mm. And um, I was like, yeah, sure. I don't know how it was going to work, but you know, fast decisions, right? I just went, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we started doing some work together and it led to me uh, becoming an integral part of his business. Um, I helped him build all the systems I helped him develop all the sales processes and the coaching, so the content as well. Um, his wife came on board and they run it together now. Uh, we did events, we did all sorts of stuff. And that business grew from like nothing to seven figure within nine months. It was the growth was, and it was all done organically on Facebook. Yeah, awesome. And um, you know, that pretty much, I did that for a year and then I went off on and started to do stuff. I thought if I can do that for your business, I'm going to do it for mine now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah? Yeah. definitely. But that's kind of how I did it. And that was about ooh, three years ago now, yeah. I think. Awesome. And uh, I've been running my business in its current form since then. Awesome. I love the different transitions you've gone through. And I've, I've done uh, similar in, in transitioning, you know, when something's not serving me anymore, or I've outgrown it, and I'm ready for the next thing. I think a lot of people feel like they've got to just keep going with something, yeah. because it's what they said they were going to do. But with human beings, we, we change, we grow, we evolve. And I think if you, you grow at a rapid rate and you're learning at a rapid rate, there's always going to be different things that yeah. you're doing. So I think... Yeah, yeah. I had this conversation earlier today, actually, with a client yeah. earlier this morning, and, and she is afraid of, of, of growth, right? Yeah. What people are going to say, you know, they're going to think I don't know what I'm doing. They're going to doubt me. Mm. And, and I was saying, no, they're not, because as you grow, you attract a whole new person yeah. into your community exactly. that doesn't know who you are that yep. see what you are now, not what you were 20 years ago. Yes. You owe it to that person to grow, to meet them. So yeah. you can help them. And then you'll probably move on again because as you say, Ellie, growth is a natural state of being human, I think. Yeah, exactly. Everything in nature grows. Everything changes. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to get pissed off when I'd have a heap of clients leave and then I changed my perspective and realized, okay, well, there's going to be a certain amount of clients who grow with me and are ready to jump up and take yeah, steps with me and the ones that aren't will fall off. And yeah. then, like you said, you attract more new people in as well. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I've got two clients who have been with me for 12 years, you know, on and off. They come to me for certain times in their lives. Like, you know, it might be a bit of mindset work. It might be a bit of business consultancy. It might be a bit of relationship kind of work and stuff like that. Yeah. Or it might be for me to write a strength program for them. Mm. They've been on and off with me for 12 years. They started in the gym. Yeah. You know, one of them now, he's, he's gone on to build a, a huge online um, music producing business mm. just by following a couple of simple things that I, you know, I know nothing about the music industry. Yeah. But by saying to him, dude, just take the chance, mm. go to networking, make your music, put it online, see what yeah. happens. You know, yeah. and he's done it and he's, he's, he's created magic. He really has. That's awesome. That's cool. I want to know as well, how did you get um, clients from like royalty or celebrities and things like that? How did you slip um, into that? Obviously um, not the, <laughs> but yeah. how did you get into that world? Uh, uh, I'm quite cheeky, so I'll ask <laughs> No, um, the, the celebrity one was an interesting one because uh, 
obviously I had a, a slight bit of celebrity early on with the football. Mm, yeah. So I managed to know some reasonably interesting people and, and, and they know people and they know people and it was kind of by referral. Yeah. But the Hollywood thing was, um, um, I, I was fortunate that there was a Hollywood actor lived in the local area. I had my gym and one day they came into the gym and said, can I speak to the manager? Mm. And I came out and they said, look, you know, I need to train for this role. It has to be done secret squirrel uh, i don't want anyone to know i'm in here blah blah and can you do something and i said yeah sure let's do it and that's how that started so that was my end to that we yeah. got on really we're still friends today you know i still get messages off it which is surreal when you do <laughs> phone clips and you're like oh. yeah um it's kind of really weird and that led to meeting some really interesting people like going around their house having dinner and being introduced yeah. to others and that kind of how that went and what yeah. they really like is that you know one i'm i'm not you know I'm not the sort of person that just gets dumbstruck in front of these people. Yeah. You know, I just talk as I normally do. I yeah. treat them as human beings and I keep it to myself. Yeah. You know, I don't go running off to Heat Magazine or Grazia and say, oh, look who I'm training in my gym. I don't yeah. take pictures or anything like that. So, yeah. so they really appreciated that. That yeah. was the thing. The royalty thing was, uh, again, that was a referral. So uh, I have a friend that works with the Saudi royal family um, and she was over in the UK last year, about a year ago. And they were looking for some, they called it uh, mental coaching, mm. mindset, effectively, life coaching. Yeah. And um, they, were, they trust her. She's been working them for 10 years. They asked if they knew anyone. Mm. And they're undergoing a big change out there in Saudi at the moment. Mm. And a lot of their, uh, they've got a huge royal family. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. And yeah. they're wealthy beyond wealth. It's incredible. And, and they, they invest in a lot of businesses around the world, especially in the West, especially in London and Paris. So, so that they have all these sorts of um, uh, interesting dynamics or when they're in Riyadh or, or wherever they are in Saudi, they're, they're ultra conservative, ultra religious and, and, you know, just get on with their raw stuff and their politics and that. And then they come into the West and they completely change. So, so there's an interesting dynamic there and they, they want to bridge that gap. So yeah. uh, they asked my friend if they knew anyone that could come in and speak to them about that and, and how mm. to, you know, help with the transition and, and that sort of thing. She mentioned it to me. I met them a year ago. It took six months for them to negotiate with me and get me a visa and get out there. And yeah. I went out at the beginning of this year and stayed out there for a, a good few weeks working with them, um, which was really, really good. So, you know, now I'm getting um, referrals from them and, and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah. so that's kind of how it was. <laughs> there's so many lessons from what you just said for everyone listening patience you know yeah. don't just send yeah. something off and you don't yeah. hear back and then give up yeah. so patience in that referrals are, are key and you only get good referrals and connections with people and, and make good friends in different industries if you're a decent human being yeah. obviously yeah. Yeah. um and then and and being humble as well and being confident in yourself Very. To be like, well, this person's not better than me or right. I don't need to be starstruck or whatever. We're all just human beings. You know, it's really interesting because the, the, the biggest thing I can take out of all of that is, is sitting in a royal palace in Riyadh with yeah. one of the, the high ranking members of the royal family watching Rogue One. Star Wars movie yeah. on a huge screen, uh, you know, uh, with him and explaining about Darth Vader to him. Because <laughs> right? uh, I'm a big Star Wars fan and I've yeah. read Darth Vader comics and that. And, and this, he was enraptured by it. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is quite surreal, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and and the, they're the experiences you want in life. That will stay with me forever, no matter what yeah. I do now. Yeah. Um, and it came just exactly as you said, by, you know, yeah 
being yourself, just having a little bit about yourself to say, actually, I'm, I'm going to have a go at this. I'm gonna, I don't know what happens, you know, whether it will go really well, whether it won't, but I'm just going to give it everything I've got and be humble and be exactly. uh, agreeable and just, just serve at the highest level I can. Exactly. I, I got the opportunity to go to Richard Branson's Island for five days last yeah, year. I saw that. It looked fabulous. I was amazing. And the first day I was there, I was like, I'm around all these people that are, have made more money or achieved more things or are better than me. Mm. And after a day, I just dropped that. And I'm like, no, everyone's human beings. Yeah, they, some people have made more money than me and achieved different things. I might have made more money or achieved different things. And it's not even about money anyway. No, no, it's it's about who you are as a person. Yeah, who you are and the impact you have, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It doesn't matter whether you impact one person or a million. Yeah. You, you impact someone. Yeah. And when exactly. you've done that, you grow, they grow, and on it goes like ripples in a pond, right? Exactly, exactly. And I know you've mentioned books a few times now as well. What are some of your favourite books? <laughs> um, some of my favourite books. The Alchemist I love. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, oh, I loved, well, the one that started off was Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. Uh, that was one that started off. Um, one of, I, I've got, um, I keep the Tao Te Ching on, um, on my bedside table. Mm. And I, I read a verse of that and I, I love the concept of that, how simple it is, how it's all about effort and sex, action, mm. Wu Wei, um, and uh, about the balance of things. I, I love that. So I keep that there. Yeah. Um, I'm reading actually at the moment I'm reading a, a superb book on the brain by Deepak Chopra and Randolph Tanzi called Super Brain which is that one okay. I'm reading that cool. one at the moment that's a really really good book um, so basically I, I, I read a, a wide variety of stuff yeah um, have you I, read The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks yes I read that quite some time ago yeah I love that yeah. book yeah, yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I read another really big one uh, that really helped in in so many ways. That was a real aha moment. Was the Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. Okay. That when I read that about ten years ago, that was like whoa, because that was my first introduction to the wonderful world of epigenetics. Right, that, mm-hmm. that your genes aren't set. Yeah. Actually, about five percent of your genetic uh, makeup is inherited, and the rest is up for grabs. So you yeah. can, you can, you can become, you can have, you can do pretty much anything you want if yeah. you have the desire to do it. Yeah. If you practice it properly for years and years, and if physically you can do it. So yeah. I couldn't beat you saying bolt over a hundred meters no matter how hard I tried. Yeah. But I could get a faster hundred meter time. Yeah. With practice and diligence. So, so it has to be something that's in your capabilities. And, mm-hmm. and then my favorite of all time are, are anything by Jim. Rohn. I love Jim Rohn. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the way he told, so I'm a big believer in stories. I'm the, the yeah. way that you can unfold a teaching inside a story, which is why I like the alchemist, yeah. um, you know, and, and to listen to Jim Rohn, I've got all these DVDs, you yeah. know, and, and I probably watch one a month now yeah. just to, awesome. to, to check over with that. Awesome. Cool. Well, it's been great chatting with you. I, I let this go on for probably double the time I normally do, but I really wanted to do that. So you've, you've got a great story, great journey. Thank you so much. And it's, thank you so much for inviting me on. Ellie. I love, you know, uh, you know, we've known each other for a while. I love what you do and, and, and it's been a delight to talk to you. Thank you. Um, so I guess last thing, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on my website, which is www.paulwebcoaching.com. 
Um, you can also find me. I'm quite active on Instagram, which is just at Paul Web Coaching. Yeah, awesome. And I'll have any links underneath as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you.